Exes for Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things movies, music, media, comics, and more, check out Cage Club at cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Exit for Podcast, the show where we take a look at the many adventures of Marvel's mutants and more week after week through their many marvelous titles. I'm Nico, and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N, and today we're bringing you a killer episode full of the youngest heroes in Marvel. We're going to kick things off with the second issue of Vita Ayala and Bernard Chang's Children of the Atom, before making our way over to the second issue of America Chavez's amazing new miniseries, Made in the USA. Vita Ayala and Bernard Chang's much-delayed Children of the Atom is on its second issue, and it sees sort of a payoff of the first issue, possibly some conclusions, a little bit for the future. We know there's an art change coming. The second issue was a lot easier to read through than the first issue. We knew these characters, and we had an opportunity to get a little bit further into their minds, and this book is providing a genuine young perspective that frequently the X-Men has trouble capturing. It's a really special energy that has permeated this title for these last two months. Now, we know that the third issue is going to be a bi-month, and it's going to resume in June alongside the Hellfire Gala, although it will not be part of that event. Whatever comes in the future for this title, it has been a really exciting kickoff to get to see how the future of mutantdom evolves, if they're even mutants at all. In this next segment, myself, Jonah, Kyle, and Blake have a great time discussing this awesome issue. We hope you guys enjoy it as much as we enjoyed talking about it. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Exes for Podcast. I'm Nico, and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. I'm Kyle, and you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Twitch at Drantis82, D-R-A-N-T-I-S-8-2. And I'm Blake, your friendly neighborhood ex-nerd. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Blake's Buzz, and you can go to Blake'sBuzz.com for all your indie comics needs. And I'm Jonah, reporting live on the scene. You can follow me over on Twitter and Instagram at PeakJonah. That's P-E-A-K-J-O-N-A-H. And we hope you survive this experience just like Cole did, thanks to those trial experiments. Yeah, that's what we're going to go with. I have a lot of feelings about this book. Now, it's no surprise that I had been really looking forward to this book for a zillion, trillion, billion years. If you go back into the annals of classic X's for podcast, and for all you Patreoners, you guys can check it out, no problem, right? If you want to listen to those early episodes of the dawning of the age of Krakoa, age of Krakoa, right? When that started happening, I had said, hey, you know, there's all this buzz that, you know, indie legend and now Supergirl contributor Vita Ayala is going to get an X book. We're all really excited about it. And lo and behold, it winds up more delayed than Gangs of New York. This book was so long delayed and it really, really sort of hurt the efficacy of how that first issue hit. We all kind of talked about it here and there on the network. Everybody was so excited for this book. And I think we all walked away with some really cool positives from that first issue. 
Now, I kind of want to open up with that, guys. What was the big thing you walked away from that first issue feeling good about? I know for me, the thing that I liked the most about that first issue was that this was the first time we were seeing sort of the mundanity of daily life in an X-book in a long time. Not just because of the Krakoan era, but because X-Men has continued to get bigger and larger and more intense for so many years, we sort of lost the humanity of Homo Superior in a lot of ways, and this injected it back. It injected it back in a 90210 Fox Summers start their shows in August to try and get the teens to watch before normal shows begin in September kind of way, but and it was also to beat the World Series. But I get it. What did you guys think? What was your big takeaway and a positive from issue number one? You know, I, I thought it was kind of, it reminded me of X Academy and like the, the new X-Men runs, um, which I really fell in love with, but just the focusing on the, the younger cast, the, you know, the newer mutants, them, you know, learning how to be themselves, be heroes and control their powers and, and kind of just, you know, get, get in sync with the team. Um, I really enjoyed that uh, aspect of it. I have to agree. I really enjoyed that the focus on the younger audience of these kids who grew up and are <clears throat> that grew up and were inspired by the X-Men, I think is a really nice perspective because the X-Men have been around for many, many, many years at this point. And it's really nice now that we're at the point in comic history where we can have characters who grew up looking at these characters. You know, we, uh, it, I liken it back to because I'm currently reading the um, Young Avengers run and it's like being it's it's really nice being able to see characters that were inspired that have been inspired by comic book characters that have been mainstays for years. So it's something that I really appreciated that we were getting that perspective in an X title. For me, it was being able to focus on a team that hadn't yet accepted Krakoa's uh, welcome, that they were working on their own outside of that sphere of influence. And it really gave you a under a better view of how things could be handled without having that big backing of the nation. And it's in sort of that way that it was so separate from the Krakoan nation that I felt that there was some disconnect, like Blake said earlier, from that sort of central idea of the narrative. Now, while we were very positive on it, I know there was some criticism on Children of the Atom, uh, especially in the discourse about that first issue. And I'll be honest, I did have some criticisms. And, you know, it's a good thing to have criticisms of work you love. And my criticism, my biggest criticism of Children of the Atom number one, is unfortunately not so much something that Vita, Ayala, and Bernard Chang can help, but rather my frustration with an industry standard that has sort of corroded the efficacy of storytelling. Whether it's Ms. Marvel number one, which was written by G. Willow Wilson, you know, the better part of a decade ago, or it's this first issue, a lot of first introductions kind of end on this, but what are they? Sort of cliffhanger, and I appreciate that, but we haven't needed a but what are they cliffhanger since 1972. We live in the modern age of comics where you're in for the issue or not. I don't think there's a lot of last page shocks that can come from a first issue anymore in a world where the solicit for the second and third issue instantly sort of hinder that surprise. I don't know that that was necessarily the most choreographed problem here, but I myself don't necessarily feel that every issue of comics needs to be the same setup as a joke. Don't build me up for 20 seconds and then give me that two-second payoff 
every time. That's my biggest complaint about Children of the Atom number one. They're not mutants on the last page. How about you guys? Did you have a biggest criticism? I'm going to change that. That was my biggest criticism of Children of the Atom number one. I didn't need to discover they aren't mutants on the last page. Did you guys have any criticisms of Children of the Atom number one that were or weren't addressed in this next issue by Vita Ayala and Bernard Chang, Children of the Atom 2, which I forgot to say we were discussing. Sorry about it. Hey, everybody, that's what we're talking about. Your turn. I agree with you, Nico. There was this really cool narrative motif right of this of these kids that don't want to go to Krakoa uh, which hasn't been addressed and it it makes sense you know there's going to be a lot of everybody has lives man like even if it's a, a utopia tropical paradise like to, to leave your family and your pets and your friends and, and maybe you're you know if you're in college or high school like leave your leave everything like that's that's a huge decision uh, especially for a younger cast of characters and so that was very intriguing about like oh wow like yeah what about the people who don't want to go to Krakoa. That's super intriguing. But then at the end, it was like, oh, they can't. Again, uh, um, th- this gate mystery, which still hasn't been solved or really addressed with Kate yet, it, you know, and Marauders and stuff, you know, I, I, we need to, we need more answers, I think. You know, we're we're years now into this X-Men reboot. You know, we're still getting new titles and stuff, but this, this gate thing has been a deal for over a year now, and they're still not talking about it, and now they're bringing it up again. And I, I, I wasn't, like, irritated but I was like, okay, like, is this going to be like another year, like with Kate? And we're still not really going to know why these kids can't go through the gate and, and what's up with, uh, you know, them not being picked up on, um, Oh my, oh my God. What is yes. Wow. Thank you. Um, but hey, anyway, you yeah. know what? So <laughs> I'm going to leave that in because what people need to understand is I make everyone get up very early on Sunday mornings to record this show. So, uh, yeah, half the time people are just coming to as they give everything they can on these comics. So Blake, no one judges your sleepy brain. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so something that I realized, uh, between these two issues, and I imagine it's going to be part of how the narration is going to be told is in children of the atoms number one we got a lot of it from buddy's perspective in this issue we got a lot of gabe's perspective and i don't know for me if that narration technique works when you have new characters i think there needs to be a lot more time building up who these characters are why should i like them or why shouldn't i like them something that i kind of do appreciate about the second issue is that jj is annoying he's a very annoying character which is is ironic for someone to say that they like but i don't want to have to like every single person i don't want to be told that you should love all these characters if daycrawler slash jj slash nighty nightcrawler is a more of annoying kind of pestery kind of guy i'm actually really fine with that and i like that additional conflict strife or um you know it's a different route of characterization that was not always seen i don't want to always have to like characters but i really feel like we're not getting enough time with these new characters that are being introduced introduced to us because I still don't really know enough about them. I don't know enough about them to say that I enjoy them or that I love them or that I want to see more of them because it feels like they're not being able to, in a weird way, authentically be themselves. They're, and maybe that's the point of the, of this, uh, maybe it's the point of the conversation of Children in the Atom is that they're not being themselves. It feels like they're not being authentic and they're acting like a way that they think they should act. And I want to see more moments where I can understand who these characters are. I feel like we got uh, a droplet of information for everybody and i need a little more of that to be able to fully understand this art Uh, um for me i i agree with you nico i'm kind of 
I'm having trouble finding motivation behind the are they or aren't they mutants. Uh, And I mean, I like the characters. They seem really interesting to me. But the more I read, the more I'm questioning whether they're actually mutants or if they would be better placed in like a champions type of uh, story. And I love that you brought up the champions. They came up a lot this issue and there's going to be a lot of spotlight on them so good thinking mentioning the champions well thank you (laughs) right credit where credit's due so here's my my advance you know my advancing this narrative question right we walked away from this first issue of children of the atom not really sure who these characters were or exactly what stake they had in this bigger picture And we come into the second issue, and it further explores the characterization and their personalities. From there, though, the story sort of pivots back to the beginning. Now, I enjoy Hell's Bells. I think they're a really cute villain team. I felt in some ways, though, like the quick pivot back to Hell's Bells, the sudden uh, restoration of of the situation between Cole and Gabe, it all sort of felt like, in many ways, this was a conclusion to the first issue in its, like, some totality. They meet the X-Men in the second issue. So with only about a month to go from the publication of Children of the Atom number three, which is going to be in June, meaning that May is going to see the book take a bi-month, only three months into its run, Bernard Chang is going to be stepping down from the penciling duties for the third issue to be replaced with Paco Medina. Now, Paco Medina, phenomenal penciler, love the guy's talent, and he actually worked on a bit of the era that Blake mentioned earlier, the new X-Men Academy X into new X-Men era. He did some pencils back then, too, so this is a really cool kind of home coming for him. But more interesting than that, they've moved Bernard Chang, the original penciler on the book's main cover for number three, to the variant cover, and moved X-Men veteran R.B. Silva's variant cover to the main cover, with Paco Medina then continuing on in issue four. So this feels to me in many ways like perhaps a lot of the time that passed was to give this book a chance to sort of reset a bit. I wouldn't be surprised if we came into issue three in a very new way. So that makes me want to ask you guys, how do you feel about this sort of two-parter, this kind of could have been a 40-page first issue sort of situation? How did you guys feel about the interplay of these two issues? I liked having that kind of finality with the Hell's Bells. Um, see, because when they were introduced, it, or when when they were brought in in uh, the first issue, is like, why didn't you go to Krakoa like so many other mutants? And here we learned that it's it's not that they wanted to, it's they felt they weren't aware of the resurrection protocols. They didn't feel like they would be comfortable being there without their powers. And so they didn't take the open invitation that had been extended. And they just assumed assumed that they didn't have that kind of amnesty. Seeing Storm come in and explain to them that, hey, you're still welcome, and we'd like to give you a fresh start, that was kind of nice, and seeing them take that opportunity for a chance to reset. Whereas the whole Cole thing, I feel like that story's being uh, I know it's it's only been two issues, but it it feels like it's being dragged out. (laughs) 
and at the same time buried very quickly. <laughs> yes, yes. You it only, is a, we only get, what, two pages of, of Cole? Not even? And so for him to be such a huge element of the story in a way that stands out, you know, they, he attacked Gabe, in a sense, during the basketball game in the first issue, and now everything's cool. And, like, I am for the idea of people not getting into like pettiness and rivalry but yeah it, it does feel both rushed and both focused on <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah the cold deal's kind of off to me um especially like you just there's there's a very jarring uh switch from that basketball scene to the uh pre-concert dazzler pre-dazzler concert scene where they're all like oh hey buddies like we're at the merch table yes it's gonna be so awesome the night of our lives and he's like oh yeah sorry i like totally totally owned you in front of everybody and then looked down on you and were like oh who's weaker now like that was an intense scene like i was like this is weird i get it was it, it was weird to me um but also like it is intriguing i want to know more about it because i mean the where i'm where my mind goes is he's dying in this hospital and and that maybe they they did some weird shit to him you know like we're already in this position where these high school kids are are not mutants you know there's something else they they can't pass through these gates right so something's going on uh, genetically and uh, something's obviously going on with Cole genetically. And so there's really big questions I want answered. I, I feel like one of the problems with this book is there's too much going on. And, and as, as a, you know, someone who dabbles in writing, there is a hard, uh, th this book is, is going to be hard. Okay. We have all these new characters, um, coming in fresh, you know, none of these characters were brought in from, from other books. You know, we don't, we don't really know anyone from this team. So everything is an introduction, you know, and we've got, you know, what there's five, five or six people to, to introduce, you know, in, in one issue. Uh, and then in the second issue, we're still getting to know them. So, you know, there's, I couldn't write this, you know, like, so I, I mean, when I critique it, you know, take it with a grain of sand, cause this is going to be a difficult book to structure and execute, uh, just because of how new and fresh everything is. And in this in this world where you know we've all been you know playing in for years and years now that had actually been my biggest point during my review of the first issue other than horticulture there has yet to be a large number of characters introduced in any single issue this marked the first time a single issue had not just one or two new main characters but an entirely new main team and that is a significant thing to consider that no other writer in the Krakoan age has actually had to do anything akin to that. that that's a good point with horticulture. And and I mean, I think, you know, John, Jonathan Hickman is, is Jonathan Hickman. And I, I don't even know. I don't I don't even know if he has a brain in his head. I think he may have like a supercomputer. Yeah, I'm I, convinced it is just the Internet. <laughs> that's why he's like so obsessed with graphs and and charts and data. He's not a human. No, I'm, I'm kidding. He's he's an excellent writer. And he's a cool dude. Oh, no, he's so, a super guy. God, he's not a human. Like, it's fine. It's fine. I don't, I don't mean like to. No one's challenging you. <laughs> but, but yeah. So I, I mean, I think this book is just it's going to be challenging just because of that. And and I commend uh, Vita for for trying. Um, and and a lot of it's cool, man. Like I both of these issues, I have not been like I wasted my money. Um, both of the I didn't. You know, there's sometimes I've been reviewing a lot of comics lately, man. And there's there's a lot of comics that are hard to get through. And this wasn't you know like a lot of that. So I mean, even with its problems. It's it still had a it has a very successful charm, which is is keeping this book alive, I think. And that's the power of Vita's writing right there is that charm. It's that emotional core locked in an honesty of trying to capture a voice, trying to put a voice to a peep 
pupils that read the comics. And it's a really intense connection to their craft that I really, really respect. Now, Jonah, this is really your, you know, first generation of new kids. And I, I, I don't mean that shitty. And it sounds weird that I'm like, this is your first generation of new kids. But like, it's a thing. Everybody attaches to their generation of new kids. We all do it. It's how we love our X-Men. You love that era you came in on. And I feel in a lot of ways, like you've been shortchanged by how poorly this book has been treated. That's not a reflection on the book, but that's a reflection on the market's compensation for COVID. I am looking at you, Diamond Distributors. And so, you know, this has been a kind of trial by fire for you getting into this title. How do you feel about the progression of this book in its very unique pacing? I feel like this should be my it team. This group of characters, as they're introduced and what they are, this should be like how some people who maybe join a little bit later into Claremont's run have Kitty as their ex-girl, uh, as their, you know, ex-girl of choice, or people who came on later in the 80s and they love Jubilee, or so on so forth, or people who started with new X-Men and they love like Quentin Choir and their cuckoos. I'm, I guess, a little upset that I'm not enjoying this book as much as I want to because I really do want to enjoy this book a lot. I have hope for this book. I have this desire to find as much beauty and positivity as I can find in it. But overall, I'm just confused. I'm not sure where the entire narration in this plot is going. I have to agree with when you said it, Nico, that this issue feels like it was meant to be the finale issue of a miniseries and it just feels weird because as far as I'm aware, we only have one thread line for a plot and that's Cole's weird experiments where he was dying and now he's perfectly fine and even stronger than before. I, I don't know if the resolution of the Hell's Bells this early, it makes sense. I don't know if their are they or aren't they mutants is a strong enough thread line to keep this book going and keep people interested i think like you need like a extreme radical change of pace because for me i think the book is moving just a little too slow i don't mind slow down moments i don't mind if this was meant to be more slice of life and we're just looking at this narrative of these kids dealing with well do they want to give up everything they know in the human world or do they want to go to Krakoa. And I'm so confused because if I'm not sure what this book is meant to be, it feels like they're trying to do so many things and get everything in there. But I feel like we're missing so much. I love that we're all sort of talking about how it's the pieces that just aren't quite locking together. And it sort of brought me to what I feel this book specifically is. And, you know, we always try to make comparisons without ever saying this person has, you know, is just caught me in that person. And that's not what I'm trying to say at all. There's a nuance to what I'm trying to to communicate during the hey i've seen your yearbook picture you were a lila cheney fan and uh the later on scene at the dazzler concert it's not that this reads like a kevin smith book but rather this sort of reads like the x-men playing in the viewisk universe <laughs> there's just something so incredibly dry honest about it that like these characters could be in the background on the way in the you know in, in a scene in mall rats these kids could be in clerks. There is something very conversationally honest in a way that doesn't fit the widescreen super spectacular we've come to expect. One of the big things about the post-Hox Pox era is that each book has a big idea identity. 
X-Men is the big science book. Marauders is the gritty pirate book. X-Factor is the science thinker book. X-Force is the shoot 'em up book. Wolverine is the book that sells. Whatever you need to do. And this title is bringing a sort of you and your friends highest shit walk in a 7-Eleven honesty that I don't know that the X-Office is capable of celebrating in the same way they can celebrate the rest of the line right now. But that Dazzler concert was so sort of exactly what works about this book and where my problems lie in this title as well. How did you guys feel specifically about that Dazzler concert and the way it paints mutants in a bigger picture and these characters in that bigger picture? So like (laughs) that scene makes a painting and it's a painting of mutant dumb. And then these little guys are like eight bit Mario in the corner. How do you feel about my eight bit Mario's in the corner? You know what I felt is I felt for Nathan. (laughs) I I got to that scene and then we don't even get to see Dazzler at the concert. And I was just like, I was like, dude, Nathan is like, he just can't win. Like they're never going to put Dazzler in a book. Like why why are they, why are they so against Nathan? Uh, But, no, I I really like that comparison to uh, the uh, Kevin Smith uh, movies and and even some of the comics that he's done. But it, it, on that note, there's not a lot of humor in these two issues, which which makes that uh, that kind of categorizing. I, I mean, you know, Kevin Kevin Smith is is a funny guy, and and he puts a lot of he puts a lot of realness in his stories, but he he puts a lot of humor in there too, and. There's there's kind of a, a lack of, of humor um, that I think, I, but I also don't know if that would make it any better. Like if it was like funny and a, and a lot of joke, like you know one liners and jokes and stuff. We kind it of would make that it emotionally dense. Yeah, it'd be it'd be weird too. I so I I don't know, man. It's I it's it's hard. I I, I think this book got off to a, a rocky start. But what what scares me now is if this if this artist switch and and in a in a hard reboot in a sense for the third issue, like that could do more harm than good too i mean we're already having trouble with this book finding its footing and now we're going to switch it up again this soon Uh, it reminds me of when everything went dc new 52 after flashpoint and like batman and robin and batman incorporated had just started mm. and they were like do we renumber them i guess and then jeff lemire over for marvel at secret wars jeff lemire had just done hawkeye one through six secret wars a new hawkeye one through six the reset wound up leading the book to getting canceled quickly yeah that's a that's a definite that's a definite fear um here and it and and like i said this was a book we were all really excited about um and and it's not sometimes that hurts too when when we're all so excited about something and something has such big hype it's hard for that hype to pay off all the time uh and and oftentimes it doesn't and like you know movies albums uh comics novels you know just sometimes you know our our online presence in the the stuff that we accumulate and 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 consume you know we get so excited uh about things that haven't come out yet. And then when we finally get them, you know, it's like, ah, I didn't really want this. Uh, so that's, that's a danger too, of just, you know, how excited we all get for X-Men. Um, so I guess we just all need to not like things so much. <laughs> we can also just present our love. Like I am, I am like, I, I under, I, everybody gets to have the feels, feel the feels that you feel inside your feel chest, the chest where you keep the feels. And I'm really proud of everybody for having them and whatever. But like, 
I'm really excited for X-Men number one by Jerry Dugan. I'm just going to wait to see it happen. (laughs) You know, I'm excited and I want to see it happen. But if it winds up not being the world's most perfect book, I'm not going to go out and burn every Jerry Dugan book I've ever had. And I think that's one of the things you run into with a book like Children of the Atom, where it almost became a fantasy, right? One day this would come out and it would be everything. It's almost like hyping up your first time. Like, oh, what's going to happen? And it's going to be so good and so hot. And like, you know, this book is subject to such editorial restructuring that, yeah, I, I too am very worried about what seems like a pretty hard reboot at number three. Kyle, Jonah, what do you guys think about the bigger picture? And, you know, let's throw in that question of this potentially hard reboot falling at number three. Well, I also wanted to mention my other condolences to Dazzler because when we looked at Cole looking at like her album image it looked nothing like her I know plenty of artists when they're doing album issues or album covers they go for a very different look but you can always tell who they are that didn't look like Dazzler in the, in the slightest and she can't even get her own you know album covers right so there, Allison go talk to your dad about this because I'm sure there's some laws that you're being discriminated against <laughs> you know, for being Dazzler right it's like when Cher did the album cover for I Paralyze no one wanted you to look like Debbie Harry. We wanted you to look like Cher. That's just for Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> Only Nathan. Only Nathan, Nathan on Earth. Listening. That one was just for you. Hi, Nathan. Oh, he's definitely listening. <laughs> right now. Uh, <laughs> my, I think that a hard reboot at number three is almost needed. And I feel bad for saying that because this entire story is so new and it's really early to call for a reboot. But right now, that is my biggest hope into turning this book into a bigger success that I want it to be. I don't know if the entire creative team knows where they want to go. When I was in high school, I was asking my English teacher at the time for some tips about writing because there was a short story I wanted to write and I just didn't know how to start and one of the tips she told me was okay well what is your ending do you know how it ends and I said yes and she said okay build backwards from there how are you getting to the ending and that's my question for this entire for the entire artistic team for this uh for children of the atoms but not that to tell me to spoil everything but what is your end goal what guys call us up tell us tell us right now call us right now call us and tell us we're, tell us we're, the ending we're standing we're standing by the line right now with your help we can save mutants every single day. And now, beast with some jokes. <laughs> what do you get when you cross a mutant with my lab? Trial experiments! Ah, ga, 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 ga. <laughs> I imagine he has like a Mr. Krabs kind of laugh. I get that joke now, because you've shown me some Spongebob. Yes. In the year 2021, but... I watched my first Spongebob and Simpsons episodes. <laughs> yes, it is uh, Simpsons, quite a beauty. You? And now I'm obsessed. I've never seen anything funnier. The like the like the Neil Simon microcosmic plays that unfold in these like Homer is like fucking feeble drunk Falstaff, which is the most bizarre thing I've ever said. And Bart is absolutely the analogous like, proliferation of the idea of the beef into the 90s. Lisa represents sort of the foil of the um, uh, the straight man in terms of Bart's funny man. 
and Maggie represents like the forgotten child in a lot of like it is an indictment of the late 80s and early 90s set against the ideas of the failure of Midwestern America right before our very eyes. I just love watching it. It's unbelievable just to watch these people be sad. It's you so just, funny. You just said like so many things that I'm like not smart enough to say in like two seconds. So I'm just like, man, I wish I could talk like that. No, anytime you I'm want like, this brain, it's all yours. It's got some diseases. And I'm like, hey, yeah, like last, last episode, I was like, hey, you sit on balloons and they pop and people watch them. <laughs> it's hot. First of all, I was I was let down that we didn't get to see Dazzler. Um, I I think that it wasn't very obvious, but it looked like Gimmick was also let down pretty hard about not being able to see Dazzler. Um, regarding the reboot, the the coming in in issue three. I don't know. I, I, I really don't know. I, I kind of just see it as a potential new arc, not really like a, a full reboot of anything. So, I mean, eh, yeah, I, 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 I'm kind of like, okay, let's let's see what happens. And I'm excited to see what happens if for no other reason, there's nothing holding this book and its potential success back, especially if they go to a really like short, fast, quick design. Maybe all of the arcs can be two issues. Maybe the book is going to be one of the more fast paced titles going forward. I do also wonder a little bit about how we are seeing the transformation of long term plans play out across comics. Now, with Jerry Dugan poised to take X-Men number one and Jonathan Hickman moving to this secret new book, and we know there's going to be Leah Williams on the trial, which I think the trial kind of sounds a little bit like it might have something to do with the either, I can't think of what it's called. I'm Apocalypse. I'm going to stab you to death, you little bitch. What's it called? Um, That thing? Where The Crucible. Got there, right? Oh. <laughs> It makes me wonder a little bit about if we're seeing the transformation of the idea of the length of payoff. As you pointed out earlier, Blake, it's been about two years since this whole, you know, hox pox bagosh kicked off. And now we find ourselves enjoying where we're at. But I think we are ready for kind of a shakeup. The narrative that Jonathan Hickman has been playing out, I mean, even though we know Nimrod is set to return at some point, I don't believe we're at the end of the Hoxpox era by any stretch of the imagination. But elements of it are starting to move maybe a little bit faster because people are starting to look for more. I know contributor Drew said that he was shocked that the two-part arc that brought Wolverine, Sink, and Darwin back was as soon as it was. Do you guys feel like we're reaching a point where the fandom is looking for a little bit sooner payoff and is perhaps challenging that notion of take your time and we're seeing that here? Or do you guys think this is an unrelated decision? I think the fandom is uh, broke. Um, I, not, I mean, a lot of us are buying all these issues, uh, even when we have trouble with them. Like X Men Legends got off to a rocky start too, and you know, I'm still buying those. I'm buying all these X Men issues, and it's a it's a financial commitment. Uh, and and it's the the slow burn when you're buying eight different X books or whatever the crazy number is right now. Like it's like okay, guys, like I'm not made of money, and I love you, and I want to support you, but this is hurt. 
hurting and i i think sometimes i do want more out of the issues uh but i mean yeah I, you know it's it, it's been a different world in in x-men you know it's been like very melodramatic which i actually have enjoyed a lot um and so i, I mean i don't know but i think i think the money and the amount of of series that are out right now that you know a lot of us don't want to give up and we want to stay on for and and keep keep all the and, and also like with me i i think is like well i've i've come so far with with all these like if i drop one now i have 19 issues of this book that like what am i going to do with them and i'm going to have this like voice in the back of my head like you have to keep buying them like it's you've, you've, you've reached the point of no return um so i think that's an issue to think about uh but you know at, at the same time we we need we need to focus on the characters and that's i think that's all of our uh critiques about children of the atom is that um maybe there's there's too many characters to focus on and and there's not enough focusing it's it's jumping it's jumping around a little too much uh and and it's and we've got too many you know it's important to have questions so that you buy the the you know the following issue you know you want to find out but there uh there becomes a stay tuned to see what happens in the next exciting (laughs) episode of children of the atom (laughs) that was perfect um thank you 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 gotta you you also have to um you gotta give your readers something too you know you gotta it's a give and take and you you can't just hide all your intentions from us you know we have to kind of know where something's going uh at the same time that's why i'm glad i'm not writing an x book like it's really easy to talk about i have a feeling it's a lot especially for this you know even like a batman writer or or justice league for dc you know i feel like I feel like they get a lot of leeway, but man, if you you write X Men and you're you're a hot ticket, and you're you, you know people are going to tell you what they think, and they're going to no, tweet think, at you and and get intense about it, and it's not like that with other comics, I don't think. It's the curse of the uncanny. When you take a look at some of the huge, like huge, brilliant, breathtaking writers who were on Uncanny, take a look at how Ed Brubaker just kind of left one day. And just left it to Matt Fraction and was like, I'm out, right? And then Fraction, Matt Fraction, who is such a gift to the comic medium, whether it's sex criminals or it's the incredible work he did for Marvel over the course of his career, but probably most notably Hawkeye, I guess, at this point. It'd be hard to separate him from Iron Fist and Hawkeye, I guess. You know, even those two guys. And, you know, let's throw in Kieran Gillen, who has basically said, I am never coming back to X-Men, thank you. Right. You know, these huge names have said, I can do anything that they ask me to do in the editorial office, but the pressure of writing X-Men is crippling. Right. It's these names that we hold up, these these pedestaled names. Right. It's such a beautiful gift that comes at such a horrible cost, which is, you know, your sleep, your sanity, your health. I think the market's demand for higher paced and quicker payoff, a lot of it, I think, comes from, you know, readily accessible streaming services. A lot of people now have TV shows that they can binge. You want to watch a TV show? All right, all the seasons are here. You can watch as many as you want and how often you want to watch it. And you know what? We're even seeing that in the way drops versus weeklies go we are seeing more weeklies but they're never more than eight weeks no one's asking you to wait 13 weeks for the conclusion to a season anymore marvel isn't doing that i mean mando is long-ish but it does wind up being just about two months they're not asking you to give a year to a show anymore you don't have to wait nine months for the season premiere to culminate in the season conclusion absolutely and 
I, it's a shifting market that I think what makes, I think that's why this book feels out of uh, place because they're trying to pace it in a little bit of a slower narrative, but what the world is demanding and, you know, with unforeseen circumstances of things like COVID, uh, the the market is demanding much more rapid fulfillment and rapid release of, okay, this is what I'm getting out of it. This is how it's going to end. This is the payoff. I don't know if everybody wants to go back to that weekly waiting for things to update there are some you know things i'm willing to wait for weekly and things that i will watch on a weekly basis but majority of the time if there's something i haven't seen yet i'd rather have the option to watch everything than have to wait i think that a repacing and a restructuring of what they want out of this story will only can really only make this better i think that because of the heavy delays that i i feel like they lost their footing a little bit in how they were going to present this narrative and how they were going to present this story of these five you know youngins i really do think that with a restructuring and a reboot now rather than later Later, I think it'll help them understand and gauge, all right, this is what has been working for us. This is what we need to adjust to. This is what people have been liking. This is maybe where we need to focus on a little more to get more people to like this. And not to say you have to do things to get people to like your work. I want an artist to feel like they create the work that they like and people who will like it will like it. But at a very large company like Marvel, where you need bigger numbers to be able to keep producing your art, I want them to be able to create their art that they want. That's marketable. I can see the need in a post-COVID world to try to condense, I guess, uh, the events of stories that had previously been planned out to be larger, just to try to keep things moving along. And I, I think that's that's one of the concerns that I had with the way that Children of the Atom uh, issue two ended. We pretty much are at the same exact point where we were after issue one they're at the gate and we're questioning whether or not we're at uh, these characters are mutants children of the atom has been a long-awaited title that has a lot of strengths and some criticisms that frankly could very much be related to that long wait we got some strong storm in this issue after a great view of the summer's gray howlet polycule hanging out with storm in the previous issue. That previous issue also gave us the appearance of my precious, my amazing, my beautiful maggot, along with, that's such a weird thing to say, my beautiful maggot, along with Pixie and Magma. We've had a number of pretty cool X-Men. My question for you guys, who do you want to see appear in the pages of Children of the Atom? For my sake, I would love some underappreciated members of the X-Men's background crew. If these kids aren't mutes, I want to see some non-mutants appear in the book. Give me some Amanda Sefton. She's got magic, she's intelligent, she knows how to fight, and she can handle herself when it comes down to it. These kids need a teacher who can help teach them how to cope with the world. That sounds to me like Stevie Hunter could be up to the task. I would love to see some other non-mutants. Hey, they go to Corbeau High School, right? That's a non-mutant who's a major element of classic X-Men, Dr. Peter Corbeau of the Star Corps who helped the X-Men go to space, which ultimately resulted in Jean Grey becoming the Phoenix. 
So these are some major characters who could show up. And you know what? The name of the high school kind of threads the idea that it is. Wow, it actually does kind of thread the idea that it's humans helping out mutants. Ah, I just got there. How about you guys? Who do you want to see appear in the book? Sinister. <laughs> I know he's a mutant, but I just the genetic. I mean, I didn't said- ask for non-mutants. You didn't like miss the assignment. Like, like, don't fail me, Nico, but <laughs> I, I fail you. You don't fail me. Um, but well, I was I like, just... are you telling me like, I'm, are, are you about to give me a failing grade? Was that... <laughs> I got so confused. <laughs> I think if Sinister popped in, because there's something weird, right? About all these, these characters that have similar powers to these iconic mutants. Um, and, and now we know they're not mutants. So is, is there like some secret organization, like trying to make their own X-Men, you know, these humans trying to make, you know, special, special new people to, to combat this this mutant threat that's still around or what if it's just like what if it's just sinister like it was me all along you know Essex like engineering of- <laughs> better dying through science exactly uh, but honestly i i don't want any more characters to show up i want to get to know these kids and i want to care about them and i want this title to succeed and I, like just, i focus on that first right get me to get me to fall in love with these kids like x academy did like new x-men did um get me on that level because these these kids are cool and i like their attitudes and and i want to get to know them more and like i said i want this book to take off i we need it we we need this new generation of of younger whatever they are to to inhabit this world um i love our iconic characters but there's you know it's we it's nice to have like a fresh take and and like i said when i read x academy and new x-men and all that that blew me away like it, we're it, in it, Philippus created one of the most beautiful worlds of x kids ever 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 it was so vibrant it was yeah. so alive and it, was, it was just cool man it, and it to to care about characters like that when when you know you know and, and it took a while it was, that was a long run you know it, it it ran for a while too uh but yeah so i just i just really want this book to win um I think Vita is a really is a really hot shit all star writer and and I want to see that in these pages and if it's editorial holding them back I then Marvel needs to to chill and and let these let this creative team cut loose uh, if that's you what they're going to do first, Blake's buzz says that Marvel <laughs> needs to chill chill out and let them rock out with their powers out nice good pivot hot <laughs> that's hot shit. <laughs> For for me, um, I kind of I'm kind of hoping that it's revealed that gimmick is just a super genius and has been creating all these inventions that simulate mutant abilities for her friends so that they can be like their idols. I also hope that in the next issue we get hit over the head with Marvel guy's real name because I can't for the life of me remember his real name so or if so it's if it's actually been Benny. said. Sorry. Marvel guy's real name is Benny. Benny. Okay. So you're finding that even though, you know, there's a lot of character development, there's maybe some misses with helping you to establish who the characters are firmly whether it's by name or maybe, you know, some other people have had trouble with really getting a sense of their personalities. You could use a little bit more grounding to that connective tissue yes i mean that's a really important thing that that's you know when you look at the change moment where comics stopped having editor's boxes look i understand it fugs up the page i get that but but i'm starting to feel and hear me out maybe i should just shut the fuck up but i believe that we live in a world where there should be a way that digital comics should have the power to turn the letters on and off 
I just kind of feel like we're approaching that. And I know as somebody who makes comics, I do make an unlettered edition. So I do know the process and I do know how it works. I also know that subtitle files exist. And if you've ever used VCL player, I'm sorry, VLC player, you can absolutely turn on a subtitle, no problem. So we're at a point where we really could sort of encode the letters into the book, right, as a a removable element. And if you're that fucking worried about an editor's note making life a little difficult, (sighs) sorry about it, but we should be able to, on big splash pages, hover our finger over the page, and have something pop up with who the character is. They're like, I mean, I'm not asking for a lot. I'm asking for a little bit more from the sort of design end of digital comics. This is not on the creators. This is not on the editors. This is sort of on like the people saying that the apps don't need to go any further because that's a place where technology could make that easier for someone who is forgetting a character's name. We could fix that for Kyle. But, like, we just haven't taken digital comics to that step. We haven't begun treating digital comics like movies yet. And I think once that jump happens, that we start to see things like letters treated as a subtitle file, you know, a necessary one, one that should be default on and can be turned off, not like, oh, you can... It should be the same thing as turning the audio off on a movie where it's like, oh, now it's pictures, right? That kind of thing. But yeah, I'm, I'm very much with you in that regard, Kyle. I think, you know, it would help a little bit more to be reminded who these characters are, not just on that black and white fronts piece. In that same vein, I would love it if digital comics had the ability to link you to either a wiki or something whenever some kind of deep cut reference back to 30 years ago in comics so that you could understand what's actually being referenced. The great news is that Marvel's app has that a little bit, sort of, kind of. They make read lists for people when they're like, oh, if you're checking this arc out, they're going to make references. These are the things you're going to want to read. But unfortunately, those come out six and a, uh, six months and a year later. So I, I really get what you're saying. Like an archivist working live, it is another step. It is a little bit more money, but perhaps that would lead to more sales of back issues. And perhaps that person's job would more than pay for itself. Jonah, what do you think? Because, right, babe, you didn't go yet, right? No. Someone that I actually think would give a really good perspective about understanding what it's like to transition from human to mutant or mutant to human would be Gwenpool. She's a character whose identity has been uh, changed a lot throughout the years. And I think she offers a unique perspective to help these kids kind of navigate what it's like, you know, having this upheaval of your identity of what that means to you. So I think she's a character that can really add a lot to this narrative and help them feel figure out who they want to be and who they are also lastly i have to get a consensus from the team about this scene because it's the only real thing in this in the second issue that like fully did bother me with how it went down did anybody else feel uncomfortable or were angry with the krakoans taking the news of hey there are these kids who are mutants who are acting as superheroes we the avengers are trying to tell you we're not going to pursue this but there are laws in place about kids being superheroes and there aren't nice people in the world who are as understanding as us and after everything they said the mutant saying is that a threat is that a threat is that a threat it was one of the most bizarre things i read where the avengers were genuinely trying to help in case their Krakowins didn't know about these young mutants and they took everything they said as a threat and were hostile the entire time it felt a little bendis yeah and you know bendis is just an example of a writer who 
is able to really like genuinely milk the the tension of confrontation beautifully. Bendis can like you know for anything I've ever said about him, Bendis can take a moment of severe confrontation and make a gorgeous, incredible thirty-two page story out of it, and it's it's riveting. And that's something that he does better than almost anything else in his world, exploring the tension between two opposing forces. And that did feel sort of like that sort of, it was almost as if because they were Titans, they had to rumble and we couldn't have a fight. So it was needlessly tense. First of all, when you said milk the tension, I thought you were about to say milk the teat and I started dying. And uh, Oh, I heard you laugh. And I was like, <laughs> what did I say? That's so funny this time. I had to admit, what I had balloon to, I did I her. sit on that popped the giggle juice on you? <laughs> Oh shit. All right. Everybody, Nico here again, and in this next segment, Rod, Raven, Nathan, and Jonah come together to talk about America Chavez's second issue in this amazing new miniseries. Now, this is an awesome time to be a fan of this incredible push for Latino characters at Marvel, like whether it's Terry Blas's upcoming Reptile book, or it's the excitement surrounding this sort of reinvigoration for America. There's been this incredible drive to make sure that all sorts of voices are heard at Marvel, and it has been such a pleasure covering this title, and as much as I would have loved to have been on this issue, like I was on the first one, there were so many voices that wanted to get in there and talk about America, so we bring some new blood to the America team. We hope you guys enjoy this next segment as much as we enjoyed making it. And you know what? If you like what you hear, you might even like what you see. So don't forget to give us a subscribe over on Patreon, YouTube, and Twitter. If you wouldn't mind, drop us a review over on Apple Podcasts. Let everybody know how much you love our show. As always, guys, this is such a pleasure to make for you twice a week, every week. We love these books, and we love getting to share our opinions with you. Let us know what you guys think over on Twitter. Hit us up. We are so excited. Whether it's our personal pages or the show's page, we want to connect with you guys and keep these discussions going. Until next time, guys, keep those mutant lights lit, those Krakoan gateways open, enjoy this last segment, and we'll see ya. Hello, and welcome to the next segment of X's for Podcasts. My name is Rod. You can find me at Twitter and Instagram on Rod, the, that's R-O-D-C-O-M-M-A-T-H-E. And today we have with us the sensational Raven. Hello, it's Raven, a.k.a. Dame Red Bento, D-A-M-E-R-E-D-B-E-N-T-O. Come and find me on Twitter. I'm also on Twitch. Pretty much just type in the name. You'll find me all over the place, and I'm getting into the habit of being on social medias. And with us today, we also have Nathan. Hey, everybody. It's Nathan. You can find me mainly on Twitter, sometimes on Instagram at DazzlerAOA. That's Dazzler with two Zs and AOA after. And Jonah, where can we find you? You can find me over on Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah, P-E-A-K, not P-E-E-K, like you're taking a look at something. And then Jonah, J-O-N-A-H. And we hope you survive this experience. Like the people who were trapped in that bubble that was where America was from. It was a real rough time. Today we're talking about America Chavez made in the U.S. of A. Issue number dos. It is written by Kalinda Vasquez. Carlos Gomez is the artist. 
Jesus Alberto is a color artist, and VCs Travis Lanham is a litter. All right, so this uh, basically reinventing America Chavez, and so far it's doing a fantastic job with that first issue, and I feel like it did a great job with this second issue as well because we're getting more information about her adoptive family and basically what makes America Chavez America Chavez. So I know last time it was me and Raving talking about this, and we know our experiences with America Chavez, but we don't know. Jonah and Nathan's experience with America Chavez. So Nathan, what is your experience with America Chavez? I knew her from Young Avengers, but I think I fell in love with her in The Ultimate. That was such a beautiful story. Like anytime you can have Miss America and Spectrum in the same team, sign me the fuck up. I'm there. Monica Rambeau is like my girl for life. So she was in the Secret Wars A-Force, which I loved that too. So I'm kind of like all over the place with America, Miss America. I love her so much. Awesome, awesome. What about you, Jonah? What's your experience with America Chavez? So I'm not entirely too familiar with her. I tangentially understand of who she is because Nico waxes on poetically about how much he loves her and... I have been with him for over three years at this point, and there are plenty of characters that I've never read about, but know so much about. I love everything she does for representation, and she's a character that I would love to get to know more. I read a little bit of the solo series where she went to college, and there was Prodigy there. I wasn't the biggest fan, but I do know that there are plenty of great stories that she is in that I am very excited to get to know about. I am personally going through stuff for Young Avengers, because I wanted to read a lot about Kate Bishop, (sighs) But (laughs) so seeing her here and seeing their friendship, I know I'm like, all right, we're already in good hands. We're good to go. I'm ready. Perfect. Perfect. I do want to say when you first said waxing off, my brain went to somewhere else. (laughs) Oh, we're going there. But we didn't. And it was fine. It was was very It's not the Savage Avengers, okay? (laughs) Respect the lesbians. Yes. Right? Yes, we res- <laughs> we will respect everyone and we won't tell them what we're doing in our own personal time. All right, so we start off in a very innocent note on this book, going away from that, and we get little America Chavez in Washington Heights 10 years ago, beating up another kid because they don't believe that she's in another dimension. And how dare they? Why don't they have good imaginations? Children are horrible. Well, it, it, and to be fair, like, this is something she knows. This is something she remembers. This is true. Kids at that age are merciless. And yeah, no, I remember I remember being roughly that age and just having a little bit more fight than brains at times. So. But can I say she is like the cutest little ass kicker I've ever seen. Even when she's throwing the punch, I'm like, oh, you're so fucking adorable. I love you so much. And at least it's a, it's a nice, it's a solid punch, but it's not a punch that's so hard that it, like, train wrecks somebody, so. The cheek, okay. the nerve, the gall, the gumption, and the audacity of that child <laughs> do not believe America <laughs> had two moms who were heroes from another dimension. Could you imagine t- talking to America Chavez and being like, I don't believe you. <laughs> Even as a little kid, I w- I would never. Somebody should have not chosen violence. It was a, a very violence. interesting moment, and I think it sets the character of America at, from a very young age. Of she's been this person who strives to be a hero and stand up for people, and I think that's really beautiful and amazing. Oh yeah, it definitely set her up for that. I mean, I feel like the beginning we got with her, you know, fighting with her old teammates and her partner at the time in the last book set up who she really was, and this is setting up. Of this is how she's always been, even as a little kid. 
kid that's just now like remembering her past that she had just for a few years when she was younger. And I like that she doesn't even have her powers at this point yet. We learned that later a little bit. We don't know that she doesn't have her powers, but we realize later she doesn't have it yet. She's just fighting just because she feels like this is right. Like this is the way that she is. So even if she didn't have powers, she's going to fight for herself, which is very expiring. I feel like as a, like, what, like seven-year-old, whatever age she is. <laughs> I think, yeah, about eight years old. So roughly yeah. third, fourth grade. Can I just say how much of a better drawer she is at seven than Katie Power was in that whole Power Pack right. mini series? Oh. I was like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Her the family tree is adorable. It is. She needs to go teach. I mean, well, she don't need to teach her now, but <laughs> <laughs> the past her needs to go teach her some skills because that was hard to look at. <laughs> Very hard. <laughs> They did a really good job of kind of capturing how a small kid would react to such an incidence, especially being called, you know, a liar and like, oh, no, no, you don't have two moms. And no, they're not interdimensional superheroes or whatever. So, yeah, they did capture how a kid would react to having their reality rejected. It kind of reminded me of the stories you got of little young Worf from Star Trek, like how he mm-hmm. would uh, get in those schoolyard fights because he was only Klingon, right? So she's the only one from another dimension in her class. So I'm going to say yes. You are completely <laughs> right, Nathan. <laughs> Superb on that information. I <laughs> listeners that relate to that get a um, super it's highness Star in their Trek. How do you, uh. I've watched two episodes of Star Trek. Oh, but you make me hurt. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm a it's bad good. good. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I it's fine. Lo- it's fine. And I love space, so I'm sure I would love Star Trek. But I just, <laughs> I just haven't. I just haven't. Hey, it's in space. It's in space. <laughs> it, is, it is. It is. It is. Okay. No. Okay. Listeners, we can see each other, and they gave me super judgmental because <laughs> I said no. Star Trek was in space. Never. There I don't know what you're no, talking about. Literally there was called no Star Trek. Miranda umbrella with Star. a big ass tall Stars picture space. of sweet iced tea. Any, you know what? Anyway, <laughs> anyway, we're gonna transition to America and Spider-Man being very nice to each other, unlike these people with me. And we love you, Ryan. <laughs> and we're back in Washington Heights in the now, in the present day. I just realized it also makes if she is eight years old then, that makes America Chavez eighteen now. And I yeah, just see her like... as like like a twenty-something-year-old, just the way that she acts. I feel her as like a mid-twenties, but she's really younger than we feel like. Yeah, well, because I mean, wasn't she like super young when she did the the Avengers? Like just yeah. barely, barely older than Kamala. Uh, uh, Khan. Okay. Yeah, Kamala Khan. Thank you. Oh, don't yeah, ask why. Sorry. I have <laughs> with that name. Because <laughs> I, I, it's not Kamala Harris. <laughs> I was like, you were going there, I could tell. No, that's not right. Kamala Harris is a superhero, if y'all didn't know that. She is, she is, absolutely. She, I don't know yeah, what her power no, is. She's like, know. she's super, like, super duper young, which also kind of explains some of the kind of impulsivity and the, the very, I'm going to do things my way, I know the best. It's like, oh, I've been there, done that. And I mean, <laughs> a, like another layer on top of that is the fact that she's adopted. And I can tell you as a child who was adopted, a lot of the stuff that she's going through, like trying to decide between like where she fits, where she belongs, what her identity is, that is that is something that adopted kids very much deal with and it can become a very contentious point for them. So 
I love the way they are capturing her as a very rounded person and character because she's very multifaceted and that's just brilliant. Definitely. I couldn't agree more. Uh, I'm bringing up a less serious point, unfortunately, but can we say how I love how Spider-Man and her are interacting with each other and how they say, make Spider-Man say, oh my B, I didn't mean to pry. And she's like, not you dummy. Like I'm talking about the looters over there. I was like, I just, I want more of them together. I never thought I would want America Chavez and Peter Parker as a team up. Because, I mean, he teams up with everybody well, so I guess so. But it really kind of works because she calls him out on his shit and she's not afraid to. But I feel like no one's really afraid to with Spider-Man, but still, it's <laughs> fun to see. So, <laughs> But yeah, no, it's fun to have his quick wit and her very straightforwardness. And they, it, it has a good play back and forth, so, you know. I like it. He's very much trying to be the Peter Parker. I'm the jokester. I'm funny. Ha ha. And she's like, no. <laughs> it's very deadpan, very serious. Because she's there on a mission. She's got business to do. And she doesn't have time for Peter's jokes. Right. I think that also goes to you guys' point why she always seemed older than she really is. Because Peter Parker is, and he's got to be in his 20s, on his 30s now. 30s, I mean, like, 30s yeah. 30s. yeah, right? He's obviously well more immature than America is at her age of being about 18. So yeah, definitely, definitely. And I love that we get this, at least one line that says her original home was a utopia, but there was no looters there. It was a utopia and they all lived happily. There wasn't really any superheroes or there or anything. They were just all together. Yeah. Which is nice. Maybe we'll get that one day, you know? (laughs) Oh, Yeah, and then I'll start punching holes in reality. Yes. You know what? <laughs> whenever, it could when everyone gets when everyone gets their superpowers, I think it'll happen. Oh, I mean, oh, yeah. there's a uh, sure. I mean, there's not there's a couple of animes that prove that wrong, but oh. <laughs> definitely. So <laughs> I knew this was going to happen in the book. As soon as she said that she remembered her moms from another dimension, they were going to bring her to therapy. I was like, especially when the brother was looking at her weird, I was like, oh, they're going to bring her to child therapy. I hope they do this. And they did do it. And I was like, good. So we can touch on this. Like, cause that's the, I feel like that's the most responsible thing that you'd want to do is like, oh, this kid is like, realistically, this can't mm-hmm. be true. They must have some trauma. Let's help right. them, you know? Mm-hmm. But no, like she really is from there. You're like, y'all need to get a grip. But it's nice to see that they're like, oh, you know, let's, this isn't our child, but let's try to help her anyway and see if we can get her the best help. And it's really nice to see. Yeah, that's what responsible parents do is they look out for their child's well-being. And if something seems really off, let's get somebody who's a little bit more knowledgeable. Let's get you a therapist. Let's see what we can do to help you out because we know nothing about you. And, you know, what the therapist said was rather true. It's like if a child goes through trauma, sometimes they will make up a story or, you know, just find a different way to explain what happened to them because reality is far too cruel. So, yeah, I was like, yeah, that's, that, yeah, that's, that's about right. That's about size it. And that was like the most responsible thing her parents could do was take her to therapy and, and get her help that way. Yeah, you guys have much better reads than my initial read. Uh, now that you guys have said that, I'm like, okay, you guys make a lot of sense. My initial read was like, 
how hard had it to have been for America going into therapy, knowing that she is what she is, and them trying to say, no, you're not, you're crazy, you're making it all up. It, oh, it kind of, yeah. it reminded me of, like a lot of conversion therapies and stuff like that. Mm. So that that was my take on it, but you guys have enlightened me to it being a good thing actually. So probably. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, you definitely have a point there too. Like it's yeah. a it's a good responsible thing for the parents to do that, but it was definitely hard for America because even the people mm. that are like her parent figures are like, no, sweetie, you're wrong. That's not real. There's something up with you. You need to go see somebody. To be like an eight-year-old telling like the, the grown-ups telling you that, it's it's like, wait, is am I right? Am I imagining it? Because at that point, you're probably questioning yourself because you're eight. Mm-hmm. So you're like, did I make this up for real? I was going to say, it almost makes me wonder how they would react if America was a mutant. Because I know that might not be on everyone's mind of uh, my child could be a mutant, but they literally knew nothing about her. And Mm -hmm. she's coming up with these fantastical stories of where she thinks she's from and her real parents and everything that it almost calls like, how would they feel if she was a mutant? Would they be as welcoming and warm? Like, what would their reception be? That was my thoughts exactly when she flew in the office. I was like, why are they not like going like, oh, my God, my baby's a mutant. And then they just like suddenly are like. Like, oh, maybe she is from that parallel reality. It's better than being a mutant. So, uh, you know what? Yeah. <laughs> the I know, right? <laughs> yeah, apparently, being a mutant is the worst thing ever. But I feel like if it wasn't for the stories, they would have guessed mute. And yeah. I, that brings me yeah, to yeah. another point. I'm glad they kind of switched the roles with the skepticism and the more believer between the genders because it's usually the father that is the skeptic. Yeah. And it's usually, yes. and the mom's usually accepting but this time it's switched mm-hmm. the mom is like like with her language right here she's like isn't america a little old for this kind of make-believe that's usually what the dad says in mm-hmm. dramas like this and now it's switched and the dad is more caring or more understanding i should say not more caring they both care um, yeah and we see that later but i just really appreciate that that's switched because i feel like mostly it's just like the same thing and kind of makes the story a little fresher i feel like mm-hmm. but yeah since she started flying they're like oh shit yeah she's from that parallel universe. in front of the therapist I'm like, <laughs> yeah I, i'm like what did this therapist, therapist was like do? whatever i just said <laughs> and therapist was like i i don't know so <laughs> great <laughs> I don't. I don't think I can see her anymore. I have no idea what to do with this. <laughs> so. Let me make a few calls to Charles Xavier because damned if I know. <laughs> right? They got this gifted school. Right. Um, they don't actually do a lot of learning there. But... <laughs> no, she may die, but she occasionally their mansion may blow up. You know, the mansion may blow up. They'll be in a training room. There's also this demon incarnate that just happens to be on the campus. They just don't <laughs> talk about it often. <laughs> Yeah, there's a scientist that might experiment on people. Um, it might bring her future self back to the present. There's some, there's some demons that you might pull her uh, into a different hell, basically, and forcibly age her 13 years. I mean, you know, the people that might constantly manipulate your mind to a <laughs> If they think uh, it's, uh, it's it's the most fantastic thing now. Just uh, go to there. Right. Right. But, but now we fast forward to the now and I love that we get like a different outfit with America. I'm like, yes, fashion. Let's fashion. I'm glad they're all not like in just basic wear. It's all like different colors and stuff. It's of the times kinda. Um, this just proves that this art, like this art is fabulous. I love it. It's so chic and shiny and the hair is flowing. I just uh, it fits. 
fits the story so well. It really adds a, another dimension to it. So yeah, I'm loving the art. Iconic America colors, but like just like totally like fresh. Love it. Yeah. So when people kind of, you know, write other cultures like this that aren't like the norm, quote unquote, not white, basically. <laughs> they not try the to, middle of a cornfield. Yeah, sometimes, right? Sometimes they try to emphasize their language a little bit more. Do you think this is written well in that aspect or do you think it's more stereotypical? I wanted to get your input on that. That's a great question because that is something I noticed that, especially if there are people who are trying to show representation, they're not from the minority or group that they're showing representation for, they often feel like they have to do a lot to overcompensate. I don't actually think here it was overcompensated. I think it was really layered in well enough where I imagine a Latinx family, like this feels like a real family where there's a little bit of Spanglish and you have a couple people who probably would be a little more comfortable even speaking fully Spanish, but they're all trying their best to blend and you know make her feel comfortable too. So I think it was really well in that it's not too much. It was peppered in enough that makes it feel like you know what if i was going to go see my grandmother that's exactly what i would feel like i think uh the writer kalinda is latinx but it's just i thought it would be a good point to have a, like a, another latinx person comment on that because i definitely do the same i think raven you probably do the same too when it's like a black story or has black characters in oh, it and they're like yeah. written and it's like yeah. wait let me see let me are they are they trying to make them black talk let's see i don't know right and oh, that does tend to be like my major like are you trying to just go aave so you sound like like you're doing it enough like no like it, ha it has to feel organic and this honestly it felt organic because i do have friends who are definitely latinx the spanglish sometimes even the like the grandparents will be in full spanish mm -hmm. the the parents will be like doing a little bit of spanglish regular english full spanish whatever translating in between and then the kids will have like maybe a couple phrases here and there but mostly be in, in english and whatnot so i'm like okay it felt organic it didn't feel like they were trying too hard to make sure that you know that they are latinx like i definitely feel the same because my my fiance is latinx and i when Whenever I'm over at his family's house, they all interact in this kind of sort of way. But I didn't want to just say without getting another, another Latinx person's opinion. It's like, oh, yeah, this is fine because <laughs> that's not my culture. So, <laughs> oh, absolutely. And there, there is like a there is a fine line of wanting to bring a more authentic experience to, especially if someone grew up in that kind of household and like what they saw and how they interacted with their family versus feeling like a caricature of I don't know exactly what's going on so I'm just going to assume my best and throw all these buzzwords and all this this is what I think it happens a lot too in like people who are only children writing siblings I don't my my sister is 18 years younger than me so I, I grew up mostly an only child but you can tell because they don't know how siblings talk to one another and oh my gosh bro how are you doing today <laughs> We can tell that America hasn't been to her family's house in a long time because her technically nephew, she hasn't seen him since he was a baby. He couldn't even talk before then. And now he's talking and it's like, oh, wow, well, you haven't been home in a long time, America. I thought it was almost part of the flashback because he looked so much like her brother when he was <gasps> younger. Yeah. I was like, oh, my baby. Oh, yeah. no, it's a new kid. Oh, 
I'm like, and, okay, uh, they really did. Like, they made this a big family, and I'm like, I'm loving it. I'm here for it. Obviously, she hasn't come back because of her strained relationship with her mother. Yeah. It's a, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's very like, but it's very real. Like, I definitely mm-hmm. felt this. Yeah, it didn't feel too out of pocket. Yeah, she's definitely not for her superheroing. She's like, you need to be with this family. You need to think of the family. You know, you're bringing too much attention to us. And and it's just the dad is there and just like, you know, she, come on. She's our daughter. Let's just be with her. We get another flashback to her first starting to be a superhero six years ago. And it is so damn precious. 12-year-old out there fighting crime. I don't know. I don't uh... know in in all the neighborhoods not like oh there's that mutant girl again that was like where my mind was going this whole time they're like why aren't they like what's that mutant girl doing saving our lives but they're just like nope she's from this alternate reality we're going with it yeah it it is a little weird that no one no mention of mutant was at all even by like strangers that see her doing things it's a tight-knit community like her father runs the bodega true you know her her family is is there constantly so i'm guessing that since it's such a tight-knit community and it's not like she's going off to the bronx or the queens or what she's literally staying within like a four block radius protecting the neighborhood so i'm guessing the neighborhood is gone she's ours can't tell you what she is exactly but she's ours because like yeah the 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 kids had no reaction to it. it's like oh okay but like even the cop didn't really have that reaction it was just like you know you're not supposed to be out here doing this, little <laughs> miss. Nope, nope, nope. Taking you back like, to your parents. Like, you weren't doing anything. Right? I was. It's like, no superheroing for you. You're out past your bedtime. <laughs> well, I mean, it's also, like, to get into racial things. It's very on brand because, I mean, it's another Latinx person holding a Latinx kid over the roof. Think a white cop's not going to give a shit about that. Uh, I mean, not, right. not every cop, but, you know. Enough. <laughs> I don't want to. His name was like Officer Denning. I'm like, ooh. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, like like milk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like like yeah. weak tea and slightly underdone toast. Uh, that raw chicken taste. Yum. <laughs> so good. The, the, as I learned this week, the Purdue chicken. <laughs> <laughs> Putting salt on the chicken is too spicy. Okay, all right. All right. No pepper, no pepper, so, no. So, I'm done. I'm done. Hot pan is not a seasoning. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> but they are in the bodega. And I do say that the I love the art in the bodega. They this artist took a long time to do this because they outline yes. every single item. And I'm like, man, that's like that hours of work. <laughs> like that pestler and acre. I'm like, they were there forever. <laughs> but it was beautiful that they did that because it really made you feel like you're like inside a bodega, like just listening to them having a conversation. Mm. Oh, I, I love the dad. I really do. I really love the oh, dad. Oh, he's so precious. Just, I love him so much. I love how the bodega hasn't changed in like the what six, seven, eight years that she's been there. Like they the still got the same change. gummy. <laughs> Bodegas don't change. That's why we love them. Oh, <laughs> oh, you get you get your bacon, egg, and cheese at the exact same place. The guy knows you. He got already has it for you when you're walking in. You know, you know where everything is. Yeah, they still have those rainbow zebra uh, gum. 
that everyone oh loves. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I know yeah. exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. That nobody else has, but somehow they keep buying some. Wow. If you go to a bodega, they will have them, okay? I don't know how. Is this old stock? <laughs> right. You know what? It might be, but it still tastes damn good. I don't care. All right? You might oh die, God. but at least you'll die. <laughs> or maybe you'll okay. get superpowers. Who knows? <gasps> That's my superhero origin story. Yes. I, hope I so. am the bubbler. What? Oh, uh, I mean, hey, you know what? <laughs> you, might not, you might not be able to help save people, but I'm sure some business will like it, and then you'll get paid for your superpower. There you go. Listen, if we can find a role for gold balls, we can find a role for everybody. <laughs> oh. We can find a role for gold balls. That is right. No, his name is, his name Egg. Is, his name is Egg now. I know it's Egg. I, like it's fine. <laughs> I guess it's better, but gold balls is just so hysterical and stupid. No, gold it, balls is better, but still. <laughs> we get the tender moment with America and her dad. He's very sweet. But then she's like, nah, let me work. And I love how he's like, you know, always on the clock. Go ahead, Miha. Like, I... Right. Yeah. You could tell that he was the one that really supported her forming her own identity and becoming who she believed she was. The mother was trying her best to make her very much like everybody else, but they had already lived a, such a different cultural experience. Eight years of the utopian parallel where everything was perfect and roses, and if somebody needed a hero to step forward and sacrifice themselves, that's exactly what they did. That's where she came from, versus the mother who's grown up, and the father who's grown up with like a lot of racism, a lot of anti-immigration sentiment. You know, they're like, look, we just, for people like us, we have to follow the rules. We have to keep our head down. We don't want to invite trouble to come to us because it gets bad quick. That's why you have to think of more than just yourself. So yeah, I can understand the mom being worried that, you know, yeah, somebody's going to target her daughter, but then also try and target the family because that's what she's used to. If you stick your head up, it's going to get knocked off. Whereas the dad's like, nah, she's got superpowers and, you know, she's got to be who she is. Like trying to be somebody else is not going to work for her and we got to support that. So that stress and strain was was both heartbreaking, but also very much endearing because you could tell it's because they have such a very different background and where they're coming from. Just I definitely agree. The one thing about the mom that really bothered me, a lot of it's realistic and reasonable. The only thing that really, really bothered me is when she said, after everything we've done for you, you're going to go and do this kind of stuff. Oh, my God. No. Real, too yeah. real. Too real. Yeah. yeah. After everything I did for you that you didn't <laughs> ask for. I definitely. Yeah, I suffered and slaved away and birthed you. You didn't birth me. You didn't birth me. We took but, you in off the beach. Right? <laughs> off, the, off the beach. You were cold at Cody Island. <laughs> <laughs> we got you a hot dog and everything. You got your yeah. Yep. <laughs> I feel like the part that... <laughs> it's, true. It's, it's true. It is true. <laughs> the thing that the mom said is we can't afford to stick out. You're lucky Officer Thompson is a decent man. Most cops wouldn't go on so easy on you. And it's right. It's like people of color. I mean, Latinx people, Black people, um, just, I mean, any person that's not, you know, white, basically, is if you, you can't stick out because you're already a target. And if you stick out, then you're a troublemaker or you're, or you're something even deeper and you could die. She doesn't care. She's like, they can't get me. I can take them. It's fine. I, I just really, I'm glad they put that 
that in there and they obviously put that in there for a reason but we definitely feel this every single day we go outside when i noticed that the mom said that when the officer was standing right there in front of them and that is that is a phrase that i have heard often enough that it's it's petting his ego so that her child gets to come home because can you imagine what would happen if America was suddenly thrown into the foster system or the juvenile detention centers because you know she's out late and I mean notice the cop didn't like we didn't see the cop arrest the people who were like roughing that kid up no. they didn't say boo about that but oh oh Miss Chavez you know you're out past your bedtime like you, you wait you just Cuffed and collared, as it were, the the one kid who was like sticking up for the neighborhood, like no. Yeah. And it, well, she's also like a woman of color at that. Mm -hmm. Like she's not oh, yeah. just a person of color, just a woman. She's not just a woman; she's a person of color. Mm -hmm. Like I, the most targeted person in the world, but basically America too, is women of color. Like they yeah. don't, they got all this going against them, and she has superpowers too. So a lot of cops yeah. have a thing against superpowered people. So she's like oh, got yeah. three strikes against her. Really mm -hmm. four, because later we know that she's bisexual. <laughs> it's just, you just can't be different <laughs> yeah. Yeah. without people coming after you but yeah but like yeah. i mean she made it she made a salient point after the door was closed like they don't care like they don't come into our neighborhood to actually do anything the only yeah. reason he the only reason he hooked me up was because i was at the edge you know you caught me like and this is apparently not the first time that they brought this kid back like no. this is like her third or fourth time like third time getting mm. getting picked up by the cops and brought back home i'm just like yeah he's doing he's doing just enough to try and keep the rebellion down as it were but this is not a good cop this is just somebody who's doing the bare minimum to try and keep status quo where it should be so yeah you know, i'm just like and the mom also definitely makes a point, which is, I feel like a lot of women of color moms are like, I am trying to take care of my family. I want mm -hmm. all of my sons and daughters and every gender in between to be safe, have a good job, be with the family, stick together, don't stick out. Because I want like you to come home at night. Yeah, because like she said, the plain to vigilante doesn't just affect her. It puts the mm -hmm. whole family at risk because they could get to them to get mm -hmm. to her. Yeah. So, and that's something that I really appreciated about this conversation is that I don't think I've seen that. Even though America is a kid here, that's still like a conversation that people who are superheroes. They, we don't see them have that conversation with their family of, yeah, sure, you're a superhero, but that means we have to be a lot more low-key. We have to be a lot more careful. We have to watch our backs. There's no way of telling when we're the, going to be the target that someone's going to try to get to you at. And it's almost something that I wish was the topic for outlaw as opposed to it being a more government thing, like have these parents rise up and talk to their kids or talk to older superheroes being like, we don't want our kids in danger. And I really resonate and I get that, but I also resonate with America wanting to do good and wanting to kick mm -hmm. ass and be like, my moms were heroes. I want to live up to be like that. Mm -hmm. And it's the this like grandiose idea when you're a kid that not only is America invincible, she thinks she's invincible. She thinks she's above, but besides flying, she's above everyone and that she can do this if her moms were heroes why can't she and i don't think she realizes that it is a little bit of a selfish goal and that yeah you can do what you want but and not that i agree with you have to stay with the family you have to do what they want to do but right. you have to keep in mind all right well how does this affect my family yeah yeah exactly. no it's it's the unintended consequences and how your actions are going to affect the group of people or the society around you you can tell that she's young in that 
because she doesn't think much further beyond, okay, I'm going to get the criminal. Yeah. It's like, okay, but how do your actions affect, you know, the space around you? And she doesn't really tend to think that through. So yeah, exactly. And yeah. like y'all, she's not wearing a mask. Oh, no, no. no. So <laughs> she like, uses her she never name. Does. America. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, obviously, she doesn't care about masks because her mom's never wearing a mask. She's like, why am I going to wear a mask? I don't need to. I'm me. I don't I don't care. But, like, mm-hmm. that's another thing. They know who she is. Like, even with, like, characters like Miles Morales or Kamala or uh, Ironheart, um, mm-hmm. even though they kind of know who Ironheart is because the university and everything. So that's a little oh, yeah. different. I miss Marvel and Spider-Man. They wear masks. They protect their families. No one knows who their families are except for, like, maybe a select few. And America, everyone will know. But, you know, back then when she was playing Vigilante in the, in the Heights, everybody in the Heights knew. Yeah. So we're in Jones Beast now. She found a coin that someone left that was in a bodega that is baiting her into a trap. And she's calling Kate because, you know, Kate's a PI. Just people forgot. She's like Jessica Jones. She, uh, you know. But she eats tacos wrong. Like, I can understand liking a taco, but she's eating the damn thing so wrong that I'm like... Bitch, nobody bites the top of a she taco. The you, top put a, you put a corner in. Like. She did the head tilt right, but then she put the yeah. part of the taco wrong. Right? It was on that taco, too, okay? Yeah, it was on <laughs> like, yeah. I appreciate that attention to detail because it reminds us that Kate Bishop is white. <laughs> Yes, and she's right? complaining about the spice level. She is complaining about the spice level, isn't she? So we, it's it's. I knew that was on purpose. That this whole thing that was on purpose, and I appreciate. Oh, that. it I had like, to be. Yes. Oh yeah. That had to be a funny little just for us kind of thing. <laughs> That was good. I loved it a lot. But I and loved I love how she didn't give America just the answer. She like made her work for it. I'm yeah. Like, yes. Oh yeah. Kate Bishop's a stickler. She gets that from Jessica Jones. So mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I just imagine Kate Bishop's days. She's like on the phone with all of the teen superheroes, like every day, all day. Like I don't know how she has a chance to like PI or superhero. It's just like on the phone all day. <laughs> I, I mean, I feel like that's how she PIs. <laughs> she's not like super serious and she kind of just walks around in her superhero outfit and it's that's like it. it's like what what are you doing people see you oh but okay that's that's fine it's fine i hope i hope she like calls boom boom sometimes and they just chat yeah. Yeah. Honestly, i hope they go shopping sometimes like they, nothing serious okay, they just go shopping. You call i hope boom boom gets her drunk <laughs> oh, oh you know she would so. oh yeah <laughs> We need to see that. But I love that she also tells her how horchata works for the spice level. Because it really does. I love horchata. It does. It really does. It's good advice, listeners. Drink horchata Mm -hmm. if you... Just drink it in general. Just in general. I was like, just drink it. Just drink it. But also, if um, you put too much pepper on your chicken, horchata helps. So... (laughs) (laughs) But here we are at Indigo Lanes. Here we are at Indigo Lanes Arcade. And um, I want to know if this arcade is real, too. It's probably not. Don't know. But if it's real, I want to go and I want to take a picture and be like, I'm America. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but we also get a flashback three years ago, back in the Heights. And she's all roughed up from fighting someone. I wish I could have saw that fight, but it's fine. Um, and it's a baby shower happening. So this is when the baby was born that she hasn't seen in a long time. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this is when the fight happens. Oh, this is not mm-hmm. a good moment. This is a sad moment of the episode. So, 
But it's very good dialogue. Who's had a fight with their parents like this? We're all not over being a superhero, but well, not being a nope. su- no. <laughs> yes, Nathan, we're all superheroes. I didn't know you didn't know that. Now you know. Unfortunately, um, me, Jonah, and Raven are all superheroes. We fight crime, but we record the podcast. Right. So, oh, I'm at the, the supervillain se- club. The that's secret- why. <laughs> Henchmen's <Nathan>. not. <laughs> Nathan, you're too sweet to be a super villain. That is n- that is not even a thing. It's a no, he's, he's, he's like he's like the no inconveniencer. His entire <laughs> super villainy is just typos. Yes, <laughs> that is that is. Man. I'm going to world domination through typos. That's that's oh my, my like stick. You go to the bank and try to rob it, and you're like, "Can I have money?" And they're like, "No, sir." And you're like, "Okay, <laughs> that's fine." I understand. It's true, but it's just it's, it's literally like put the money. Give in the me bag all your mommy. What? Like, oh, your mommy? All <laughs> your mommy. Yeah. You're at you're at the teller. Like put the money in the bag, and they're like, "Do you have a checking account or a savings account?" <laughs> and you're like, "I fine, take it out of my savings." Damn. Right. You're like, "Oh, I guess I should open one, right?" And you're like, "Oh yeah, you can." So <laughs> that's a good point. You go. They gotta get those commissions somehow. Yeah. Oh. You put the money actually in the bank instead of taking money out yeah <laughs> oh best slash worst super villain ever <laughs> i rob for myself and give to the bank yes <laughs> but here comes america crashing the baby shower and everyone's like you're you know why smelling you like dirty? a dumpster smell like a dumpster you know why are you being um you're out there fighting in you can't be a hero and it's like the mom again, you know, she's like, after, yeah, like y'all said, after everything, you know, we sacrificed for you. Yeah. And that's the quintessential, you know, parent line when they've like, and when they're so done and they're like, how dare you be a person after I've done things for you? You're supposed to do what I say. Cause I fed you. I don't know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> when I was a kid, that's when I used to like go upstairs and play Alanis Morissette's Perfect. So, because <laughs> I'm old. Hill on repeat. <laughs> I know. <laughs> little bit of My Chemical Romance far too loud. <laughs> oh yeah, we also used to cry to songs because of our parents. We've all been there. <laughs> America but, did know, not like. Know. Yeah, like America <laughs> fired back at her. I didn't ask you to sacrifice everything for you. And I need to be my own freaking person. I wish I had the fortitude to say that at that age. Oh, my God. Yeah, nope. I was like, I did not hey. say it at that age. I said it, but not at that age. Not at 12. Mm. What is she, 12, 13? I don't know. Uh, no, she was probably 15. like 15, 16 15. at that point. Yeah. yeah, so that's very, I mean, hey. I feel like when you have suit powers, though, it kind of ages you up. Gives you confidence. Because you're like, at this place, I can go fly away. <laughs> so Look at Kitty Pride. She's like a headmaster at like 20. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Right? I mean, Kitty Pride was bossing people around at 15. So I, don't, I, don't, I don't even think she needed her mutant powers to do that. She was, she, was, she, she, was, she was doing a lot of things she shouldn't have when she was that age. So. Yeah. I'd be like, um, little girl with your badass, bad, fat, not badass, bad 
fashion. You can't tell me what to do, but that's besides the point. So, oh, I, love <laughs> I love her costume so much. When she gets to um, pick them. Oh, she, the roller derby outfit. Oh, she oh. has um, interesting taste. That I'll just say at that. I mean, you know, I would say she doesn't have any taste. <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah, Hello, no, Kitty's costume yeah. corner. That's all I gotta say. Oh God, no, oh, no, no. That's oh. all. No, that. Uh, Kitty or it's Kitty critiquing other people's costumes. Oh my god. Oh my god. When she taught the class and she was like, your costumes can be fun. And she showed her like tragedy outfits. I'm, the, I'm like, oh, Kitty Chuch. Oh, no. With it. America Chavez has roughly similar tastes when it comes to that. <laughs> <laughs> Looking at roughly some of those similar. outfits she's wearing, I'm going. She's Honey. like, I'm going to pick a color scheme and stick to it. <laughs> right? See? It's called branding. <laughs> Okay, Tina Burner. Yeah. With your McDonald's colors. Oh. <laughs> oh. Tina Burner's favorite color is blue. But <laughs> 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 it's true. She had a color scheme in literally every single iteration over 10 years. In the exact same. I'm like, honey. I'm telling you, she doesn't, <laughs> she doesn't care about the fashion that much. Well, She's like, I just want to. She literally grabs whatever's, you know, fast <laughs> and off the rack and within those color schemes and goes, it's my costume now. I'm like, you realize you wore that to school and people can track your ass down like that. Like. And she's hey, like, sometimes she has a leather jacket, so I mean, you know, you know what? And America's like, good. Let me beat their ass to track me down. All right, <laughs> I relate to that. Right. Um, she's very I much wish, a kid. I feel like by the end of at least this story, where she's gonna grow up a little bit more, because I feel like this villain is really gonna teach her her comeuppance and her like um, childish behavior. But so, are they really a villain though? They might not be like an actual villain. They might not be an actual villain. I think there's somebody else from the utopian parallel because. I noticed the markings on their wrists. Yeah. So I'm just like, oh, ooh, somebody from your past. They're in the process of taking them back. Yeah. Okay. Like she got hit with the lightning bolt. She's knocked out right now. Okay. I love it though. They really did help. Like they not only did they build up this really great tension between her and her family and how she's resolving that, they built a good tension between like, okay, like now somebody's coming into my neighborhood and like targeting my family. Like, what's going on? Like, uh uh-uh, uh, no. Like they built really good tension in this issue, and I can't wait for issue three because of it definitely definitely so we reached the end of the issue i can't wait till the third issue i think it's gonna bring so much more things i hope we get i know it when we said at the end of the last issue we hope we got more cameos we did get the other cameo another cameo of spider-man a continuing one which is nice i don't one thing i really 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 want to see and i know they already have a history together is but her and more of monica rambo I'm just trying to squeeze Monica Rambo into anything I can because I just love that woman so As much. One She's amazing. As one should, yes. Right? Yeah. I love it. I, I think they did a really good job with it. And like from the first issue to the second issue, they set a good pace. They kept that really great pace moving and really built the story well. And I'm I'm so ready for the next issue. So But Jonah. Since most of your knowledge is about America Chavez is mostly from the spectacular Nico, 
what is what does the second issue bring you more about America Chavez? Kind of everything I need from a character like her. I guess I'm just so enamored and so like amazed at just who she is and what she stands for and what she wants to accomplish in her life. And I'm so like interested in her story. And I think this story is really like dragging me in to really wanting to read more about her, wanting to see more. And I think it's just such a like beautiful, amazing story about this girl and woman who just wants to save the world that's all she wants to do she just wants to save the world and she just wants to be like her mom's and i think really diving into what that means not only for her but the rest of the world around her i think is a really amazing perspective i just haven't seen before and i i have really high hopes and i really hope they can continue raising the bar i have to say that i'm really enjoying this book because not just because of america chavez but it gives a deeper look of a you know a people of color family you know and another culture and we don't get that a lot in comic books not to this deep level and it's not just because they're latinx you know they're a family and they get deeper in that that's not always what's mentioned it's just their relationship with each other and their how they build on top of each other and we get their life outside of just suffering as well like they get having a baby they're working together they own this business like and we're seeing how they influence america as well like we get this buildup of this whole entire family of her and getting more stories like that in comic books about people of color is definitely what we need when it's not just about their struggle it's just about them being people so i'm really ha- i'm glad that this book is bring that i appreciate that for this 